Welcome to The Conversations with Jason Campbell and Henrietta Galena. Hello. And this week's episode, we have a guest. We do. I'm so excited. (laughs) A very, very special guest. Because we really wanted to continue a topic that we spoke about in the last season, talking about sustainability and fashion in terms of that whole relationship. And so we wanted to dig a little deeper. And as we said, we wanted to speak to someone who was super informed where we can have more of a substantial conversation. Because I recall we had a lot of questions. I I, I think we had a well-rounded conversation on this subject, but there are a lot of questions that are we simply don't have the expertise in. And we're two voices. And I think the more voices of influence and, and information that we bring into the fold, the more we could actually have a progressive conversation. So without further ado, I'm really excited to introduce Celine Saman. Welcome, Celine. Hello. (laughs) So do you want to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do for those who are listening? Yes. My name is Celine Seman and I am a professional troublemaker. (laughs) (laughs) I work at the intersection of social change and environmental justice, but in the sector of fashion. But we definitely work beyond fashion, like, uh, you know, around waste. We work around systems whatsoever. Um, you know, fashion uh, is a very influential industry, and it also encompasses a lot of other industries, such as manufacturing for products, um, um, industrial design, um, transportation, aviation. All this carbon emissions are kind of like kind of intertwined within the fashion industry, and so it's an industry that's. Um, uh, you know, very versatile as well. So that yes, we are in fashion, but it could be in lifestyle, it could be in healing and wellness, it could be, um, you know, it could be in also, um, as I mentioned, products and materials and innovations and new materials and science. So we it's, we look at fashion in a very broad lens. And what services do you provide under under those umbrellas or under that umbrella? The company is called Slow Factory, and it's a lab, uh, R&D, Research and Development Lab. We also act a little bit like an agency around communications when we are involved in the project. Um, it's an education uh, slash scientific you know, research department, if you want, of any given brand that works with us. Um, through the experiments that we run, we have social experiments, we have um, uh, material experiments, and so on. And when we say experiments, is because we need to start small in a lab in order for us to figure out a way to go at large. So we can't just come up to a brand and say, oh, you just need to use organic cotton because maybe they're, them shifting into organic cotton um, is not necessarily what what is going to be the most sustainable for them and for the environment around them. And so the way we assess what needs to be done is through um, a scientific approach that's called a life cycle assessment. And when we life, uh, we basically measure the life cycle of products, of collections, of systems that are around uh, said products, and then we evaluate their emissions on carbon emissions, plastic emissions, uh, transportation, agricultural relationship with, for example, anything around you know, natural fibers, essentially, we will also calculate the impact 
that uh, their production have. That can seem very frightening to a brand, but it's actually becoming the norm uh, to run life cycle analysis because then you can't know. If if you don't know, you can't really mm-hmm. affect any positive change because you're just going to go with the next greenwashing uh, 100%. you know, uh, buzzword that's out there. And then um, it's not necessarily the right solution for for your systems. Well. <laughs> I mean, you're really, really doing the work and that's really why we're excited to delve into this. And I think one of the reasons why I know I personally really wanted to have you on the podcast is because, you know, just having done a lot of research and just really kind of trying to do the work also, there are so many questions and ultimately... For this episode specifically, one of the things that um, I was really interested in is with everything that we talk about with sustainability, there are so many solutions. There is also so many problems like greenwashing, which you just um, mentioned, like greenwash marketing, I think is incredibly problematic. We touched on it last time as to why that is. You know, the solutions are really rife in terms of, you know, policy changes, government intervention, financial investment from brands. Um, executive suite updates because a lot of the problems are kind of um, executive thinking right through to changing obviously and upending manufacturing processes, distribution processes. It's complicated. It involves everyone's participation. There's no one rule fits all. There's no no brand is an island. Um, So sort of to that end with everything being so layered, complicated and involved, can our industry actually tackle sustainability? And if so, ultimately, what's the goal? That's such a great question. I feel like the first thing I said, the social experiment, it may sound like I'm a crazy scientist and, you know, like (laughs) testing some things on human beings, but it's absolutely not that. Um, We really look at sustainability as a culture with a capital C. I say this all the time. And because unless it is adopted within our culture, unless we have the public engagement, nothing is going to be changing. That being said, as I was saying as well, um, prior to the podcast, <laughs> that um, the solutions don't uh, uh, aren't only on the shoulders of citizens, meaning uh, individual action is not the only way to solve this entire global uh, systemic issue that we are, you know, all, all um, within, literally. And so we are a part of the problem and we're also part of the solution. Um, in a way. And so the way that we look at changing culture, changing, talking about sustainability as a culture, or how can we all make a change, we really have to look at it from different layers. Sometimes people are going to say, if there were laws, then we would be able to solve it. But laws don't just happen in, in a vacuum. They are demanded by the public. And to pass a policy, we have to have public engagement. We have to have the, you know, the public awareness to demand such Uh, such policies. For instance, um, we want to tax on carbon emission. We have to basically all collectively understand that what that means. And we are going to also be individually taxed on our flights to Mm -hmm. Cancun for vacation. And we're going to be taxed for taking a cab. We're going to be taxed to doing all these things that we do. Um, Unless we address this issue on a systemic level and we first look at industry and look at what the industry is doing and their impacts collectively and individually as different industries have different kinds of impact, the change won't be happening only from the bottom up. 
it has to also come from from top down. Well, it's interesting that you approach this conversation um, by speaking about the responsibility of the of the consumer. And yes, I know that a lot of the messaging, or at least some of the messaging, has been targeting consumers in terms of you know plax- use of plastics and myriad myriad things surrounding the sustain- sustainability conversation. But I happen to think that. It's, it's from the industry. The industry is where it needs the education. Well, both se- both sectors need the education, but the industries need the education because ultimately the influence comes from there. When, for example, with fast fashion, false fashion is a proposition to the public. If, if they didn't know that they could have their fashion at such a speed, right. they probably would not have asked for it at such a speed or consume it at such a speed. So in many ways, the industries have miseducated the consuming audience and now our practices are poor and and they have to be reversed and 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 a re-education has to take place so i find that i find that interesting that's um in at least from that statement that you just made it seemed like the onus is on the consumer and i don't, I don't necessarily feel that but at I all i think before we even get into that ultimately i think it's clear that we all bear some responsibility both as a consumer and as industry leaders and people who participate in this industry called fashion but i guess Getting even uh, a bit more kind of high level than that, like what's the goal? So I love this idea of you have to change culture first because I do believe that like cultural shifts is how most things happen. If you take the example of litter, for instance, you know, the 90s was a big, you know, every PSA, every governmental initiative, like there was a whole thing around not littering. And now littering is just a bit passe, like the idea that you, you would throw something on the floor is just... We don't do it because it's really ingrained in the cultural psyche. There was a goal, though. It was zero litter. You don't want to see anything on the floor. Put it in the bin. There were bins everywhere. There were initiatives. That was a thing. What is the goal here? Because is fashion ever going to be zero waste, zero emission, zero human cost? Like, what is the goal? Because fundamentally, our industry is really predicated on putting things out that don't necessarily need to be there. A lot of newness. And therefore there's shipping and there's carbon emissions and there's the making and the dyeing and that's just the process. So what is the goal? It can't be to eradicate the industry. Of course, we want to change it. But I think one of the struggles is that we don't necessarily have a singular vision as to what sustainability looks like. From the industry perspective and from the consumer's perspective. We don't even have really like a consensual definition. So even when you talk about working with different brands, the idea of sustainability could look different depending on the brand, the brand needs, what the brand does, where the brand sits on the landscape of fashion, whether they're designers, big box brands. So how do we all define sustainability and what's the goal? Is the goal to just have zero waste or is it to get from where we are to reduce by 50%? Like I, I don't I don't know what it looks like. I just know we need to do better. And I think that that could feel overwhelming when trying to tackle something that's mm-hmm. so complicated. Definitely. Yes, we definitely have to redefine sustainability every single time uh, that we work with someone. Because sustainability for us at Slow Factory, for instance, we look at it as two Venn diagrams touching each other. One of them is being social change and the other one is being environmental justice. And sustainability lies at the intersection of those two. Sometimes brands will be looking just at uh, doing positive uh, things around their communities, um, already raising their um, minimum wage to 
you know, higher than the minimum wage and, you know, providing a fair trade to all of their employees, including their... And sorry to interrupt you on that point, Celine, and maybe you could expand on this a bit more. I think that example that you just gave in terms of, um, in terms of say, payment wages for, for your employees, to be honest, even for me... I have really come into that understanding over the last year, and I think we we tackled that in our in our last podcast. I just came to that understanding that the sustainability movement was considerate of all of these things, including wages and 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 those kind of practices of company. I don't necessarily think you know your general the general audience out there understands that it's the entire process. So please um, expand on that a little bit more for us. Absolutely. So um, we, we we don't come from a culture of sanction and we don't come from a culture of shame. Okay, so that's important that we all listen to uh, or observe that from that angle. The, in the culture of uh, austerity, of shame, of uh, um, guilt-driven uh, <coughs> solutions, um, when we look at them uh, globally, they don't really make sense on a global level because if you are going to look at uh, creating sustainable strategies based on austerity, guilt, and shame, uh, the solutions are um, not going to have a, a larger impact. They're not going to have a positive impact at scale because you're just looking at your uh, at feeling good for what you're trying to do on a smaller scale, right? That's like the guilt is basically a very personal experience. Um, when we are looking at fashion, you asked me like 10 questions in one oh, question. Yeah. So, and you asked me another 10 questions in one question. So thank All you. All the questions. All the questions. Many questions. I just had three sips of coffee, so bear with me. I'm very calm at the moment. But in the question of do we want to eradicate fashion, the answer is absolutely no. Fashion is culture. Fashion is part of our you know, heritage as uh, a society, as a civilization. When we look back at historically how we what is fashion it's the craft it's the hand making it's making things with our hands it's the the byproduct of our harvest turned into dye it's the byproduct of our uh, cattle turned into something we could wear from uh, you know a historical level uh, fashion was the culture that we created as a society mm-hmm. and also culture and art and all of these forms of expressions are as important as eating and breathing otherwise Amen. what are we yes. going to do are Absolutely. we prisoners of our own minds so no we are not going to eradicate fashion and when we approach it from that angle again with the culture of austerity the solutions that we are bringing forth are very limiting Okay, and so my argument is we need to expand. We need to expand our imagination, expand our minds, and through education, both for the industry and for the consumer or the citizen. And that's what Study Hall does. Shameless plug. Um, (laughs) So Study Hall is a conference series that I run um, in collaboration with the United Nations. Um, and so we run these conferences yearly and it's they address both con- the, the concerned citizen and the industry. And in one same room, and in fact, it's like a room that's circular, we sit in front of each other wow, and we yeah. conversate and we discuss uh, sustainability. And the next one is on January 31st. And we're going to be exploring sustainability at scale, which sounds like an oxymoron, right? Especially in today's culture of austerity. But the idea of sustainability at scale is 
when we can start small in a lab and grow big to the system, these solutions have more chances in becoming sustainable, quote unquote, autonomous, quote unquote, in order to for them to be uh, creating a positive impact uh, but why within sh- the industry. But why shy away from austerity? I think maybe for some of the listeners, they would they would think that austerity or you're your, your, not proposing austerity is in direct opposition to this, to this um, sustainability issue. Because in many ways, and austerity may be a strong word in that, you know, you're, you're, you've shrunk things in to such an extent that you don't exist anymore. But no, in terms of less, let's say less, consumption of less. I, I, I find that interesting that you are, that's not a part of your proposition. And I also find it interesting that, um, let's say shaming, and again, let's be careful about our words because sometimes they, <laughs> they come with greater strength that we want to use. But calling out, you know, calling out brands, for example, that are not operating or at least attempting to operate with with best practices, you know, considerate practices and so forth. Uh, why are those, why are but those problematic? Sp- to be fair, we have definitely spoken about this in our call out culture where it's, it's not, it shouldn't be an either or. I think you can have productive and progressive dialogue without necessarily shaming people. We've seen with out culture that when you shame someone into a solution, it's not necessarily the authentic and progressive change that needs to be happened. It's more like, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. And then it's more of a band-aid rather than actual sustainable change in any way, shape or form, whether it's race, whether it's hiring practices, whether it's sustainability. So when you talk about empathy and how we talk to each other, I think Shame is a really important part of it. I well, I don't want to. I want to. I don't want to take this on a tangent. But you know what I think is also what I think is becoming problematic in some of these conversations is that you know calling something out, identifying offenders, now is being wrapped up with this shame labeling, and it's like almost a ruse now for not actually calling things out. And I'm I'm actually becoming very concerned about why how... Why is Celine so excited by this? <laughs> I don't know why you're so excited by this, Celine, but I got to tell you, I've been paying attention to this, and I've been wanting to make this point. I'm like, no, 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 no. We're not going to change the narrative now. And now we're going to be like, oh, well, you're calling us out. You're shaming us. That's terrible. Like, oh, well, that won't affect real change. No, 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 no. Wait, so I'm of another school. What is it that you're excited so about? Because you me, believe in no Yes. Uh, for, for example, for me, I'm excited about hearing you guys because we, we the, the problem we have now is we have a, 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 a lack of balance between mm. the divine feminine and the divine masculine. <laughs> okay. well, honestly, let's look at it this way. Yes, we do need empathy. Yes, we do need a slap in the face. You know, both. We need both. Okay. And that's where I come from, where I am not coming from a culture of austerity. I'm coming from a culture of generosity, where we need both solutions to coexist. Okay, I like that. So, for example, (laughs) in the idea of the austerity, it's either one or the other. Pick your side. Are you with me? Are you against me? And that's very much what's going on today in today's political climate in the United States of America. It's a very divisive culture at the Mm. moment. We have to pick our sides. Are you red? Are you blue? 
Are you democratic? Are you, what's the other one? I don't know. You're like, and, thou that shall not be named. <laughs> <laughs> and we are in a populist culture also that is uh, asking for uh, picking your flag. You know, it's mm -hmm. a very nationalistic movement globally, worldwide. We can look at the UK with the Brexit. You can look at the Middle East with the uprising in Lebanon and the, and the revolution that's going on right mm -hmm. now. I'm Lebanese. Um, and so the idea of, there's this picture that's, hap that's coming out of Lebanon that's like an aerial shot between a, an ancient mosque and an ancient church in the middle of downtown Beirut and two million people uniting in between these two, mm. um, you know, these two religions. But we have 14 or 16 different religions in Lebanon in the region globally, in the Middle East, North Africa. It's not just Christian and Muslim and Jews, you know, like there are lots more mm -hmm. religions and to see them unite like this, To me, that's the symbol, that's the maximalist, that's the culture of generosity, that's the yeah. not coming from austerity, and that's not picking a side, you know. Um, But this is also an interesting <laughs> point when we talk about rhetoric and the semantics of it all and the and buzzwords and the words that we choose, because, you know, you did write a piece about um, austerity not being the solution to sustainability, and one could read into that that you're kind of negating the idea of overconsumption. So when we talk about marketing and because ultimately I think a big part of why we're in this mess is because of messaging and marketing and communication yes, yes, and like yes. more is more is more. And if you buy this, you'll be happy and retail therapy. So then and if you buy this, you'll look therapy. like Bella, you'll look like Naomi, like look how happy they are on their target holiday campaign. Like it's all messaging and marketing. Yes. So So let's talk about filling the void. So when we discuss sustainability, we have to also talk about wellness, mental health. You can Oof, talk about it about okay. any way you 100%. want. Yes. Spirituality. Me, yes. I talk about spirituality. Okay. I don't want to talk about just mental health in one corner mm -hmm. of our brain because we are more than the brain. We are more than our physical form, right? I mean, mm. that's how I see it. But in any case, when we talk about sustainability, we have to talk about our human experience, our, you know, this, this experience where we are alive in this planet. Why are we here? And this void that we feel within us that we are trying to fill with knowledge, with music, with clothes, with money, with status, with titles, with anything we're trying mm. to fill it. This is the core that we are trying to heal. Okay. I'm all about the root cause, and I you you dove right there at least from your um, an example that you have, and I think that's that's great. Like we have to go to the root and really identify where the cancer is, if you consider the cancer, and and attempt to make the the fixes there. Again, I come from very much of like a spiritual experience of non duality. It's not a cancer, and even void is beautiful. Even the void mm -hmm. itself, being able to sit with something sit and with, not have with to nothing, fill it, because within nothing within this nothingness mm -hmm. is the vast universe mm. that we hold within us. And this vast immenseness, we can't even grasp it with our mind. So of course, mental health comes to play because the, the, the mind wants to categorize, wants to label, wants to define, wants to put construct and structure and austerity mm. <laughs> comes into play. But we have to be at ease with the unknown. Otherwise, we are going to suffer endlessly. But when it comes to, so that's what I'm saying, like marketing and messaging from the industry, I think is largely responsible for fueling this idea that the void needs to be filled. You can't sit with nothing. You can't really use other tactics like wellness or whatever to, to really address 
the void. Absolutely. I really feel like culture has shifted from product to experience. Right now we're buying experiences. Yes. We're buying what we can live. We are going to concerts or we are going to go to uh, Burning Man or we're going to go to whatever new experience that's out there that's going to be absorbed. I must say, not to be pessimistic, but I do think that the specific to fashion, the industries shift to experiential, which is the other buzzword. I exactly. Think everything and has to be experiential. But that is, that is just that's... a tactic Absolutely. to buy more things. To get Burning people back Man, into the store. Buy the look for Burning Man. Kanye's is releasing it. But it is. It's like Sunday so service. Sunday service. Buy the merch. Like it really, I do worry about this experiential component being a just another funnel to sell more products. So it's that's what I'm saying. The marketing notion of things, even when we talk about wellness, you know, when are we even having the correct conversations in this how industry? How many creams because do you want to buy? The and idea, how exactly, many masks are you buying? The idea that self-care involves going to a spa or buying something. Self-care sometimes, or most of the time, shouldn't that be free? You know, shouldn't you be thinking of free solutions to self-care? This idea that you have to also have money for self-care. So the marketing machine how how do we how and i i am in marketing so i understand that this is also an internal struggle of how are we going to reverse this idea of overconsumption more is more you you know you need this you you need that because even when we talk about austerity it's it's kind of a don't buy anything else mm-hmm. except this mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> but we don't need anything this month. besides air water and the planet. That's all we actually need. So whenever we are uh, in the front of a conversation or a marketing message that says you need this to whatever, uh, it's really important to understand that. Um, and that's like 101 uh, <laughs> spiritual awareness is like need versus want, right? What do you need? What do you want? And it's fine to want things. I'm not saying don't want things. But to Henrietta's point, Marketing and messaging are so powerful, and in many ways, that's what we look towards for how to behave and how to act. And I think, you know, we're also well-trained in culture. And so in many ways, we're looking for those signals, those signifiers as to like, okay, so how do we operate now in this culture that we're, that we're, we're the, the picture looks different, or at least we're trying to paint a different picture. And what is the messaging the, and, the, and the marketing sounds and looks but like? even the vernacular <laughs> of today, oh my God, I need this, what is that? <laughs> Oh my obsessed. God, I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed. <laughs> Hashtag me. Oh my, and it's I do that too. Every time today. I see something on Instagram, even on your post, I'm like, what? <laughs> and even I'm like, can I have it? And but I'm, that, I'm part but of that That is too. the vernacular of today. It's like, I need this swipe up, buy and post. And it's... it's Right, but... The tactics are counterintuitive to everything that you're saying. Precisely. And, and look how that works. You know, um, it doesn't have to come from a brand. It comes from someone's Instagram post... And they have comp- they're still um, um, playing forward that message- messaging of consumption by just just by saying I need that I'm obsessed with that isn't that fear so you see how powerful <laughs> powerful of that a human is society okay. that is the contradiction that we are is also so hilarious.
really it's a not that we call you have to have space. a sense of humor like first laugh it out and then let's explore the solutions you know? but then it makes it makes a conversation and initiatives like this surrounding movements like this so daunting yeah we can laugh but like you know we're here because we're serious about this subject Absolutely. and we're serious about change and we were we're serious about what that looks like but yet we are you know we are we're, we have look, to look at where our culture is there is there is a, a divide between our values and our actions this is what it's called ah. the value gap okay ah. Ooh, yes. that hit that hit me there <laughs> Value gap. It's called the value gap. It's a it's a divide between our values, what we believe, what we want, mm. the best intentions we have, and what we actually do, and that's what we need to repair. Oof. You know, Oof. and that's that's, yeah. that's, a, that's a lot. Oh, 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 oh yeah, that's that's like shivers are happening because you. That in that point this is right honestly, there, it's not new. You, I didn't inad- even invent you inadvertently it. No, shamed no, guys, me yeah. no, because I, don't I just want realized to shame you. this is literally no, like from 1980s books, you know, about the environment. It's not oh, new. Oh, it's no. just like you know, in the 80s. I'm a child of the 80s. I was born in a war, and I escaped the war, and I've been obsessed, obsessed with the climate, the human rights, environment, since a very young age. And a bit like a rebel without a cause for so long until I now have a way to articulate my mm-hmm. cause. But a rebel first. And from the 80s, we looked at the way that uh, scientists were trying to warn us of what was happening. And there are different tactics that they were using. Of course, they were, you know, adopting similar uh, similar rhetoric or similar um, systems that we had designed for advertising. And advertising is built on guilt and shame. This is <laughs> this is how they get you to buy that whitening tooth thing. Or, this is why okay. they get you to buy that new car because you're going to rise up in your class or it's a status symbol it's it's about clean it's, it's about hygiene 100%. it's about intelligence it's about education but yep. without anything underneath it Absolutely. make you feel like shit so that we can solve that for you exactly That's so the, the way premise. that in the 80s the scientists were trying to get that message across in a society that was used to being told they are bad 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 you are bad you're a bad kid you're a bad this you're a bad that they use the same ways. This is bad. Everything, the world is going to end, um, you know, mm. and, and so on and so forth. However, I don't know why, okay, it did not work. It it was a, a, a way that basically the general public was completely blocking that message out. Was it because it, did, it didn't have a solution as, out of it? You couldn't buy your way out of this climate change problem? Or was it, it about deprivation? <laughs> or is it about deprivation? What was missing from adopting the same structure but not getting into a result? Mm-hmm. Is it because you were not offering a solution, ah, a feel-good moment, mm. ooh, I can buy myself out of this? Mm-hmm. What was that? What was missing? Anyway, 30-plus years later, uh, now the message has changed, but we have the same kind of rhetoric and cue in Greta Thunberg mm-hmm. about this message from, I don't know if I can say this, but a, a young white savior. Who can, oh, oh, yeah. I, I don't know. I'm so sorry, but maybe <laughs> no, I cannot you can say, say that. Anything. I'm not criticizing her, but this is the media, basically. The, the, it's, it's a byproduct of the media and a byproduct of what society really wants to hear mm. and see. It's not her fault, but, you know, this it is what it is. It's what media did. And... We want to see this like innocence and deprived and voluntarily deprived, voluntarily austere Mm. figure that is going to tell us that the world is ending and we have to stop. We have to stop what? We actually have to do. We don't have to Mm. stop. And then relying on a figure that tells you stop 
then there's something that feels good about that, that you can, you can lean on this savior that will change something for you. But it's not how it works. You have to all do something. Mm-hmm. The industry has to actively do. We have to maximize our impact. We have to maximize our actions at the moment. And again, the, the, the way that the message of the 80s have been evolving into look at the big picture and look at the beautiful earth and so on and so forth, it is difficult. It's a difficult uh, topic to translate to the public So mind. where is the trigger point? And I think that's what we, both Henry and I, are trying to get that understanding. Where is the trigger point? Yes, a, a conversation like this is a part of that triggering that's happening. But in terms of, you know, action, like action where it's starting to seep in the public consciousness, or maybe I'm not giving enough credit to what's already happening, but from a really active perspective, where is that point, if you can if you can articulate that? I really feel that when we bring people to the landfills, like we just launched a thing called Landfills as Museums, we brought students wow. from, uh, from yeah. uh, FIT and Parsons, we brought designers from Adidas, Adidas helped us fund the program, because it's an open education initiative, it's free, we're offering it to the universities. So uh, basically, it's like a, a donation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but in any case, when we brought these kids to the landfills to study waste, to understand the end of life, okay, to talk about end of life, because again, it's super philosophical and I feel like I'm a very out there kind of person. But the way that we've designed the systems as we have them today, they mimic our religious beliefs. We are born. We live and we die. And after we die, we don't know what's going on on a religious level. But on a spiritual level and on a nature level, on a biological level, we don't disappear. We go back into the earth. We return to earth as either food or poison. Depends how we are going to be returning to the earth. Basically, this goes for products and this goes for systems. This goes for how we extract goods from the earth. And this goes for everything that Mm -hmm. we're doing. Mm -hmm. We've designed a linear system that mimics the Western's views on life. If you look at Eastern philosophies, if you look at, um, you know, uh, a more intersectional philosophies, even Native American philosophies, even, you know, uh, African philosophies, uh, Indian philosophies, Middle Eastern philosophies, they mimic mimic nature. They've Mm. observed nature for thousands and thousands of years as they are older civilizations. But because the way that we have um, popularized colonialism, it's uh, a Uh, Basically, there is a race that is mostly intelligent, mostly evolved, and from that race trickles down everything else at the service of that race. It goes down also for religion, and it goes also down for the way we've designed that system that's linear. Now, I didn't say all that at the landfill, but this is basically the idea of going, experiencing something, getting outside of your screen, outside of your day-to-day, and the more you do, the more you feel hopeful. That is So that's actually made me a bit emotional, actually. That's really special. Um, But, because that's where I am right now, um, how do you scale that? Because I think what you're talking about in terms of the philosophy, the psychology of both fashion and sustainability, and seeing the impact, having a visceral reaction to the impact, it's like being on the front lines or seeing war firsthand versus being desensitized to it by watching it over and over again on the news or on your screen device. Absolutely. How are we able to scale something that is so psychologically, philosophically, 
academically, professionally complicated when we're when we're so far removed, I'm in the industry. And when you talk about going to visit landfills, that's a completely foreign idea to me. So how are we able to scale essentially a very personal experience? Absolutely. So for instance, as we said earlier, we're shifting from product to experience, just generally. Of Mm -hmm. course, some of it is bad and some of it could be good. Mm -hmm. But the way that we do it, and my company is a very small company, we're literally only four or five people full-time and like a bunch of collaborators um, and contractors, um, is we try to convince companies to shift some of their marketing money into R&D, into something they can do Mm -hmm. and document that they've done Mm -hmm. and then that will lead us to a better change than just talking about it or making another product. So we're trying to basically run the or, or ride the, the, the wave of experience, but turn it into something substantial. For instance, how do we scale this type of thing is basically having it mandatory within companies that we have these kinds of experiential trips. We should go to Vietnam and see where they're sorting the clothing that we're exporting there. Mm-hmm. We should go to... India and and uh, experience how they're ex- uh, sorting the plastic we're exporting there. We should be going to landfills and transfer stations in the United States to understand what is it that we're throwing away and where that away is. And that's the first conversation on circularity. It's not about organic cotton and cradle to cradle. And da, 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 da. of course, all these things are uh, uh, the, the 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 symptoms of all this change that we're requesting. But what's the root cause, as you were saying? How can we get there? And as a society, we need to shift from the tourist, oh yeah, click, click, I've been there, to the actor. We need to be part of this together. You know, we can't mm. just be like, I've been there, selfie with the refugee children. And then like the Mary Antoinettes of the world need to like, sit down, okay? Mm-hmm. We need to all become more active and not all of us, some of us. Some of us owe the society to be much more active than others in terms of taking action. Well, you know what I'm thinking about as you're speaking there? I'm thinking about like, and you mentioned Adidas earlier. I'm thinking about like the Adidas and I'm thinking about the Nike and I'm thinking about these multinational companies that manufacture so much. They're they're built on us consuming a new pair trainer, as far as I'm concerned, uh, they're concerned every, every month. And I'm thinking about the consumer going behind the seams of these brands and and having greater transparency. And I'm 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 still trying to understand your proposition. Are you saying the more they know than the consuming audience that is, then they will act differently based on if okay so they go to to China and and are and sees that the the practices in these in these manufacturing facilities are not up to standard that children are employed or whatever the case may be like i'm just trying to understand that still that point of understanding that point of exposure and and then how the consumer Acts. Of course, it's not just like a tourist proposition, like come see or um, a poverty porn kind of project. Absolutely not. It would be more about uh, doing something together rather than come and see, oh my God, poor them. Like, no, you have to experience. It's an anthropological proposition as an anthropological, Mm. you know, sort of uh, theory even. I don't know if that's going to work, but that's the kind of experiments that we are interested in because we won't know unless we try to do something. For instance, in the Lenfield as Museum, we didn't go to a a developing country. We went in the backyard, literally in Philadelphia, Mm. taking literally 18,000 tons of garbage from New York City every minute. Mm. That's a whole truck every minute. 
Damn. And look, I'm drinking wow. from a cup that's going to end up there because if food was in it and it wasn't washed, it cannot be recycled. Mm. And anyway, this cannot be recycled. And recycled can only happen at two, maximum two cycles. You can't recycle plastic more than two cycles. Mm. Okay, or paper even. Like it's going to be, you have to mix it up with another like new resource. Agents too, yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. So recycling is not a solution at the end of the day. And if you go back to the 80s, I'm like such a retro <laughs> girl. But like there were three R's, reduce, reuse, and recycle. Mm -hmm. And now recycle is first. Reduce, reuse. Fuck that. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And so because recycle <laughs> speaks to continued consumption exactly. at uh, unabated. <laughs> and by experience, I don't mean come and check it out and like take some pictures and do this like uh, you know basically trash porn or poverty porn or whatever we're doing here. It's get your hands dirty and then let's get to work. Because the more you work with your hands and the more you get involved as a community, the more peace you feel inside you as like, okay, we're part of the solution. And there's a fine line between being part of the solution and part of the oh, problem. And we vacillate between the two constantly. Of course. And then the idea here is just shifting more and more towards being part of the solution. But in the same, in sort of the same bracket, uh, is is are you asking for the transparency from the brands, for example, at the same time? Because I'm thinking, as yes. you're saying, as you're saying, like go to, to go to these facilities, have these experiences. I'm also thinking, I would really love to know the 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 life of that garment or that of that product that I have bought. Like true, real transparency. How this came to being and how it came into my possession. Mm -hmm. I think that information, if, if true information, not you know, not manufactured information, true information about the, the 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 source of that product, I think that would be a responsibility, that, again, that those brands don't currently have. We don't ask how those trainers get to be on our feet. We, we don't ask those questions at all. That's definitely more of a public proposition of if you if you demand it, they're gonna it's going to be incumbent on them to deliver. And but there is, a, there is something that I need to say as a disclaimer. I'm sorry, I'm so passionate. Okay. And now I finished my coffee. So You're out. like turbo. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, just kidding. Um, but there is something I want to say as a disclaimer. Again, it's the tourist mentality, okay? When first generations go back to the country they, they their parents come from, they go to that country with the same um, internalized colonial mindset as they've been taught. So when you open up the door to transparency, there is that little disclaimer that needs to happen where you can't go to a developing country with the same kind of judgment and request and uh, judgment, literally, Ooh. that you are going to impose on the people that you are going to be going to visit or help or work with. It's the same idea as the white savior, but it can happen to you, mm. you know? Yes. And me, I grew up, <laughs> yes. in, I grew up, I was born in Lebanon and just my own personal observation I was born in Lebanon, and at age four or five, we escaped as refugees. We got to Canada. I was raised there until 13. And at 13, the war ended in Lebanon, and my parents went back to Lebanon. And I arrived in a country that was completely desolated. It was literally apocalyptic. Mm. Okay, post-war, like post-35 years of bloody war. Horrible. No, no roads. Like the time stopped between 70 something and 1995 when I got there. Even the music was from another era. Everything stopped. 
And me, I arrived there as a 13-year-old, cocky, teenage, white American, almost, even though I'm not, but internalized racism was in me, internalized colonialism was inside of me, and I judged, and I looked down on the Lebanese peers, and I was the better, and the most sophisticated, and the most intelligent, and I reenacted myself mm. as 13, all the notions of colonialism that were taught to me, and I had to unlearn everything. And it was great thanks to my grandfather and my my elders that I was able to understand, A, post-colonialism, B, my own identity, C, what I was doing to myself and to my peers. And I see that to, happening again and again with a lot of first generations that uh, I was even once from a first generation peer of mine from the Middle East who told me I was fresh off the boat. Like, what mm. is that concept even mean? You know, and so we have to un unlearn so much before we can go and visit these places and try to help these people. But also, but we have to help order, ourselves. Also, in order to move forward, even from a executive level right through to consumer, our relationship with consumption, we need to unlearn so much. I think mm -hmm. that was a big part of my point about messaging, and and I guess the question that I was trying to get out because we have to unlearn a lot of what we've been conditioned to believe. And I yeah. think that is a big part of the challenge mm -hmm. because it's not like the industry is just going to stop mm -hmm. and then you have space to unlearn mm -hmm. and then we can revisit the sustainability thing. These things are all happening in parallel and concurrently. And with little time left. And concurrently, and it's very, you know, it's a lot. But I think with all of that, I think as we kind of wind down, like I want to know from your personal standpoint, like are you optimistic? and as it pertains to this larger sustainable conversation and, and the action in the industry? And if so, what are you most optimistic about? Give I, me nuggets of hope. <laughs> I feel like without hope, we cannot function. You know, if you deprive a man of hope, you've deprived him of his life. You know, this is not just me towards the environment. What a privilege I have to be a free woman, able to do my own decisions, decide for myself and decide whether or not I want to contribute in uh, saving the planet. You know, what a privilege is that? Of course, I'm hopeful. Look at me, like look at the the chances I have. But I look at optimism and hope not as like a mere feel-good moment of the, just to feel good in that <laughs> moment. Oh my God, I'm so good. Tap on my back. I recycle the paper. You know, no. I looked at it as how can I continuously feel um, enlightened and working with the, you know, the light, basically, the, the love, hope, you know, is not just on its own in a vacuum. It really comes from love. It comes from self-love. It comes from unlearning. It comes from healing. And yes, at times I feel completely depressed, but it comes from me because I am feeling empty. My cup is empty. You know, how can you be giving, giving, giving if your own, this I don't know, it comes we were, back to spirituality. <laughs> this is something we were talking about before. And, you know, we were talking about this as it pertained to uh, plant-based, uh, the plant-based movement. Because everything that you've said, I think, is incredibly important. And I think we should all be on our own spiritual journey. And we should really, I think there should be more awareness and more confidence to have that lead more in life. But if you actually look at the, the challenge of sustainability and where we are, how do we scale certain things like that psychology and that kind of ethos when on a really basic level to scale it, you have 
a single mother working two jobs with five kids, or you have a student in like a, a mountain of student debt trying to pay rent and figure out what their future is when they're, you know, barely in their 20s and already owed a hundred, two hundred, two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. You have someone who is who is sick due to mm-hmm. any number of factors. When we talk about these things, you know, I'm kind of liking it to a bit of the Republican Democrat thing where, you know, a lot of middle America are looking at Democrats and liberals as these elitists who have these first world problems and like plastic straws and, you know, pronouns. And they're like, I had a job. I can't, I don't have that job anymore because the rug was swept from under me. These are my challenges. Like your pronouns aren't really my priority right now. So like, how do we level the playing field where we can not only have all of these conversations, but where everyone can get on the same page and feel included? Because I do worry that when we talk about certain things that are really high level and and conceptual to someone who is like, I'm just trying to get my bills paid. H&M makes things that are $4 for my kids. That's why that's what I have. How do we mm-hmm. get them on the same page? And how do we get everyone engaged and passionate to want to change and invest a little bit more or find out a little bit more, dig a little bit deeper? Because I think we're in the industry. So we have a sort of stake in the game. And, you know, when you talk about wellness, spirituality, you're making space for a lot more than mm-hmm. I think even when we talk about the average person and the, the day-to-day struggles, like how do we scale everything so that we all feel included and involved, but that we all have the space to help not ruin the planet? Mm-hmm, definitely. So for example, uh, me too, I shop at H&M for my kids, you know, like I have two young daughters. Where do you think I'm going to buy their things? I but her a not coach. Gucci kids. No, I don't have <laughs> unless Gucci wants to sponsor me. No, but like I went to Uniqlo to buy her a coat. The coat is gonna go to her little sister, and once that's done, um, yes, we can drop it off at like a, a secondhand store for children. But you know, most of the time, the coat gets so destroyed at mm-hmm. the end of two kids, or even the shoes. The shoes are such a problem. So for me, the way that I deal with it is I try to work with companies that are willing to um, do a take-back program uh, and then figure out solutions on the post-consumer textile waste that we are discarding. And how can we reintroduce that back into the system as a new fiber, for example? So that's a long-term project that I'm not seeing the light of yet, Mm -hmm. like at the end of the tunnel, but that's my way of contributing. Um, I'm not going to be shaming anybody coming out of H&M for their children or for themselves, matter of fact. Fast fashion has allowed a, an entire bracket of women to enter the workforce with dignity. Like, mm-hmm. let's not forget that, you know, being able to dress and look good mm-hmm. has helped a lot of women get the jobs that they wanted and climb that ladder. So we can't really approach it in an, in a way that's downgrading or looking down upon these people or any people, matter of fact. So how do we scale these things? I feel like brands are listening more and more to the consumers. Consumers are being much more louder than they were ever before. Yes, for cancel culture. Yes, for empathy. But we need everything at the moment. We need to make noise. It's a moment of revolution. Everybody's on the street constantly demanding their rights, demanding their needs, demanding their dignity, whether it's in the Middle East or here. Like We've been marching, 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 marching for the past three years, and it's not going to end we're going to still demand better, better, better. Do you think that there's a unified voice in this discussion? And, uh, and if there isn't, sh- does there need to be? 
Um, I feel that unified, forced unification is uh, a danger to our freedom. Okay. So we cannot force people to unify if they don't feel. And again, I welcome uh, contradiction. I welcome the argument of, uh, of uh, conversation. Talking about different points of view is important in order for us to see eye to eye. But you cannot force people to unify. If they don't see it, they can't, you know. If And also part of unification is healing. Like even in America, for example, for us to be able to see a unified uh, population we need to discuss healing and as part of it reparation as part oh. of it we can't <laughs> be forcing people to say oh yeah I, i'm I, i'm anti-racist no everything about you must become anti-racist for you to be part of it and it's those heavy 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 lifts Absolutely. that you know i i was so um uh, elated by this conversation there's a certain breeziness to us um to us discussing here i understand where you're coming from i understand the different touch points of this conversation and then we go here and then i'm like oh my god we have to like get so deep in the consciousness back to the root cause I, again i that's a, that's the area that excites me most but also like oh i get winded when i really like understand that mountain, that mountain is too high. I'm staying home because this is such a heavy lift on all, all counts. And you know, and and I understand. While I respect your point about like there not being a unified body, and there doesn't necessarily have to be because we don't want to force anyone into any sort of engagement. But that just makes the effort even even harder because you know there could be disparate voices that don't necessarily have a similar or the same messaging, and the 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 audience, the the the, the consuming audience, is sort of like you know uh, hand over ear. That's you, the thing that concerns absolutely. me. For example, healing may sound like oh wellness. I I just need a massage, I need a spa. <laughs> but healing is painful. Healing is a work. It's work. It's vulnerable. It's it's a lot of work and it's it hurts. It you cry, you it's work. You know, even if you're looking at it as like you go to your psychologist and you talk their ear off and you cry and whatever, it's work. You have to do the work. And so for us to see eye to eye and for us to unify, there is a lot of work to be done. Mm -hmm. And um, you know. White folks need to do the work. White women need to do the work. Progressives need to do a lot of work and a lot of work in reparation as well between the the extreme whites and between you know whatever they're they're able to do in coming to an to an end of racism. Anti-racist work needs to happen at all level, even between communities of color, mm -hmm. even be, even between the communities of color. Anti-racism is a long-term project that we need to start now, mm -hmm. and it needs to be a consistent commitment for us to see eye to eye, for us to unify. We can't unify unless we address the elephant in the room, which is racism and colonialism. And, <laughs> and on that note, I think because <laughs> that's at the crux of a lot of things but in culture. Let me but just say on. one thing before we wrap. I think you you introduced yourself as a as a professional rebel or something about being a, a rebel. Professional troublemaker. troublemaker. And can I just say, we've had many conversations and this one was so illuminating. You are a truth teller. <laughs> we need to tell the truth. We okay. need more people who will tell the truth. Okay. It's not always palatable and packaged perfectly and sometimes it's uncomfortable and we don't want to hear it but you tell the truth 
I think that's one of the starting points for this. And Telling the truth and then acting on the truth. <laughs> but honestly, everyone needs to read everything this woman has ever written. I can also give you a reading list of others that needs to be... Just everything. You are everything. Celine, Simone, oh my God, Slow, Factory, <laughs> Study Hall, Get Into It. This is giving us so much life and we're going to have you on like 17 times, obviously. <laughs> this, this conversation is not over. Celine, we thank you so much for your time thank and it was a so pleasure to have you on this me. podcast. You're amazing. Thank you. <laughs> Ciao.